0: But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the the earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Father, we need you this morning again. We need you. We're here because we need to meet with you. Lord God, we do not want to waste our time on Sunday morning. We don't want to waste your time. We want to meet with you. We want to see you. We want to be refreshed by you. We want to be changed by you. We've got to encounter you, God. We've got to encounter you. Holy Spirit, will you please come and will you please work through your word one more time? Will you please come, and will you please build up your church that you love? Lord, this group of people that you have bought with your own blood, would you build us up? Would you strengthen us? And Father, good night. I'm weak. A weak man. I'm a sinful man. I'm a broken man. It is stupid, in my opinion, for me to be up here preaching your word. I pray, God, for your Spirit to please help me. Please help. Please speak to your people. Please build us up, Lord God, and please put in me the passion that your word deserves. That you deserve. We never want to be bored talking about you. You are the least bored one in all the universe. So draw us to you this morning, God. Do it for your own glory, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you guys, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20 this morning. Acts chapter 20 continuing in our series called Witnesses through the book of Acts. Um, hope you guys had a good Valentine's Day. Read this week that $18 billion is spent annually on Valentine's Day. Average guy spends $130 on Valentine's Day gifts. Here's what that makes me. A mega underachiever. (laughs) An orchid from Home Depot. That's what I'm working with. Uh, Don't do that. Um, Anyway, we're we're talking gifts today. Um, Fowler is gone. A much-needed break. Um, But that's good news for us because that means there will be no references to the Dallas Cowboys. There will be no references to 1980s music. And there will be no references to the Star Wars uh, trilogy or whatever it is. I've never seen it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is it a trilogy? Maybe not. Probably not. But here's what I will reference. I will reference my favorite book, one of my favorite books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. You guys are probably thinking, Kane, it's a kid's book. I'm thinking, I'm a P.E. major. So... <laughs> It's par for the course. Um, but you guys will remember, the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. These four kids wander into a magical world called Narnia. And Narnia is under the curse of the White Witch. And under this curse, it is always winter and it is never Christmas. And so these four kids, they join Aslan, the king of Narnia, on his mission to destroy the curse and, and to establish his rule and his reign throughout Narnia. So these guys are going to meet up with Aslan and as they're on their way father Christmas shows up with his sleigh and as usual he comes bearing gifts but the gifts that he brings aren't just any gifts he brings gifts with a purpose he brings gifts for the mission and so he brings a sword and a shield he brings bow and arrow he brings a dagger and heel and ointment and he, here's what he says to Peter he says these are your presents but they're tools not toys bear them well Bear them well. They're gifts for the mission. Now, over the last few months, as we've gone through the book of Acts, we have seen the early church on the mission of God. God had commanded these guys to go and to bear witness to King Jesus in every nation under heaven. And we've watched them, watched them start to do that. But friends, this mission wasn't just for them. This is not just something that happened in the first century. God gives us his same mission. When we were brought out of darkness and into light, when God made you alive, when you transferred trust from yourself to Jesus, he gave you a purpose. And he gave you a mission, a mission to bear witness about Jesus. Now, just like Father Christmas gave these kids gifts in Narnia, so God gives us gifts. He gives us gifts for the mission. And so here's what I want us to do today. I want us to pick up right in the middle of Paul's third missionary journey. And like any good receiver of gifts, here's what I want us to do. I want us to to consider these gifts that God's given us, these gifts that God's given the church. But then what I want us to do is to look past the gifts to the one who gives them. See how good he is, how glorious he is, that he is the author of all good things. So that's where we're headed. Um, Acts chapter 20. Guys, praise God. Sunday morning, of our own free will, we get to be with the people of God. We get to submit to the Word of God. This is a gift. Um, Acts chapter 20, here we go. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell, and he departed for Macedonia. Now, we pick up where Bill left all, off last week. And I'll remind you if you weren't here or if you've forgotten. Paul and his team had gone into Ephesus, and they go into Ephesus preaching the gospel, and when the gospel is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, lives are changed. That's what was happening in Ephesus. People's hearts were being changed from the inside out, and so the idol market goes into a major recession. Well, the businessmen were not happy about this, so they go MMA style on Paul. Paul's a smart guy, leaves town. So he heads north, and then here's what we see in verse 2. When he'd gone through these regions of Macedonia, and he'd given them much encouragement he came to Greece. There, he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So let's let's get the map up here. And I'll show you guys where we are. Um, Ephesus is here. The riders drive Paul northward. So he goes and he visits all these churches up north, and then he comes down to Corinth for the winter. Spends three months there. This is when he writes the book of Romans. Praise God for his winter in Corinth. Um, they plot against him, and then he, he was going to sail back to Jerusalem down here, but he decides now to head back through land. Now, verse 4 tells us about the guys who are traveling with Paul, and this is pretty cool stuff. So look with me at verse 4. Luke lists, Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians Tychicus and Trophimus. Here's what I want you guys to notice. All of these guys who are traveling with Paul came from churches that Paul planted. So Paul had gone into their town. They were either converted under his ministry or they're heavily influenced by his ministry. And then they say, hey, we don't want to just receive this gift passively. We're we're going with you. And so they jump in on mission with him and they become this traveling family of missionaries. But but these guys who were traveling with him weren't his only family. Look at verse 5. These went on ahead. They were waiting for us at Trous, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came back to them at Trous, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week in Trous, where we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, here's what I want to point out. Everywhere that these guys go, it's like a family reunion in every city. He's encouraging the believers in Macedonia. They go spend Easter in Philippi. They spend the winter in Greece. When they get to Trouse, they have communion together. They stay up all night talking. At the end of the chapter, we see the Ephesian elders crying because Paul and his team are leaving. And so the first gift that I want to highlight for the mission is this. When we become Christians, God gives us the gift of family. Gives us the gift of family. Let me tell you what I mean. More than any other image in the New Testament given for the people of God. So more than the body of Christ, more than the temple, more than anything else. God refers to us as a family. Friend, when we put our faith in Christ, when we realized apart from him we were helpless and hopeless, and we transferred our trust to him, God became our father. And we became brothers and sisters of one another. God made us family. Now, I want to tell you all about the the best Christian community I've ever experienced. When I was in college, um, I I was starting this Bible study. And this couple said, hey, why don't you do it at our house? A couple in their 50s, they were serious about being the family of God. Well, before long, they had 50 kids or more meeting every Thursday night at their house, sometimes till midnight. And then the kids started coming around day after day after day after day <laughs> at their house. This family was horribly inconvenienced by us. I mean, just terribly inconvenienced. But because this family was willing to receive this as this a gift, they saw God move in the most extraordinary ways. They saw tons of college students come to Christ. They saw college students baptized in the river behind their house. They saw kids from this Bible study go on and get married because they were serious about being the family of God. They saw God act in extraordinary ways. And y'all, when I read these passages and when I think about this, this week I'm thinking, man, like I'm missing out a little bit. I feel like I'm not receiving this gift as fully as I ought to. And maybe you're there this morning. Maybe because you don't want to be inconvenienced. You don't get serious about Christian relationships. Or maybe you just don't want to put in the work. Or maybe you've been hurt by church before. I know that's some of you guys. Um, And so it's just easier to come and listen to a sermon and head out the back door. But guys, when we do that, we miss out on what God wants for us. We miss out on an extraordinary gift. But we don't just miss out on a gift selfishly. We also become less effective for our mission. Because here's what God wants to do. God is all about drawing all kinds of different people to himself and giving them the same spirit. And then using those people to reflect his glory. Here's what I mean. Jesus says in John chapter 13 that non-believers will know we're Christians by the way that we love one another. And so together, we are a better witness than we are individually. When somebody comes in and he sees white dudes and black dudes and rich dudes and poor dudes and all across the spectrum, and all of us loving each other, and all of us worshiping Christ, that ought to make them want to know our Savior. Together, we offer way more gifts than we do apart. Together, we can reach into places that we couldn't reach into alone. Together, we can relate to way more people. Family is a gift for the mission. And when we don't receive the gift, we miss out. And so here's my encouragement. If you're here and you want to experience this gift more, pick one thing in addition to Sunday morning. Just one. Maybe it's a community group. Maybe it's a men's group. Maybe it's a women's group. Maybe it's a service team. Pick one thing and intentionally invest in relationships there and see if it's not a gift. See if God doesn't start to meet this need. Family is a gift from God that's that's to be enjoyed, we should bear it well, but we need to remember that even greater than the gift is the one who gives it. Okay, Paul and his team, they're in Trous. they're having a family reunion, but like most family reunions, this one turns south fast. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talks still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and, taking him in his arms, said, Don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them for a long while until daybreak, and so departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So Paul talks from dinner until midnight. Okay? He makes Bill Fowler's sermons look like sermonettes. And as he's rambling, this boy named Eutychus, in between 8 and 14 years old, falls asleep. Who can blame him? Right? Middle schoolers, if you're looking for biblical evidence that it's okay to sleep in church, this is it. <laughs> but I would say be very, very careful. Because <laughs> Eutychus falls asleep, and when he falls asleep, he falls out. And Eutychus dies. Can you imagine the turn of events in that room? I mean, exhilarating excitement that the Apostle Paul is teaching you and talking to you and telling you about his missionary journeys. I mean, what a joy for the Christian. To then all of a sudden, somebody's child is laying on the ground dead. But Paul rushes down. And he does exactly what Elijah did in the Old Testament. He does it exactly what Elisha did in the Old Testament. When God used those guys to raise a kid back to life, he lays on top of him. And when he lays on top of him, it doesn't even say that he prays. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. He just says, don't be alarmed. His life is in him. And then he goes back upstairs, takes communion, and then he talks until daytime. <laughs> so he has literally talked dinner to breakfast. And the church is not a little comforted, I would imagine so. Um... And here's where I want to highlight our next gift for the mission. The next gift for the mission is the gift of miracles. Miracles. Now, we've got to talk about miracles for a minute. Because people like to take extreme views on miracles. Over here we've got one group that says, God doesn't do miracles anymore. They're unnecessary. We don't need them anymore. And if you hold that view, what I would encourage you to do is study church history, to read about what's happening internationally right now, Um, in Christianity, um, a quick look will show you that God still does miracles. But then in this other camp, this other extreme, we've got folks who I think come to the Bible so well-intentioned and say, God is doing miracles left and right. These miracles are happening everywhere. We're living this second-class Christianity, right? Miracles can and should be the norm. And here's what we would remind this person, if that's where you are this morning, Miracles were not the norm in the book of Acts, and they're not the norm today. Here's what we've got to remember. Acts was written over a time period of 30 years. And so when you average it out, you've got less than one miracle per year by the greatest Christian leaders of all time. So miracles then weren't the norm, but they did happen, and they still do happen. And we've got to make sure that we know that we have a supernatural God who sometimes does Give these gifts. Let me give you one example. Uh, last week in the USA Today, okay, so USA Today, it's not Christianity Today. It's a pretty liberal publication. Here's here's what they reported. They reported about a 14-year-old boy who fell into Lake St. Louis under the ice. Okay, he was under the ice for 15 minutes. They took him to the hospital, dead, dead for 45 minutes. Doctors are about to go tell. His parents, what's happened? This is what the USA Today reports. Unbelievable right here. His mother then came into the room and started praying loudly. What happened next defies explanation. I don't remember what all I said, recalls John's mother, Joy Smith, but I remember, Holy God, please send your Holy Spirit to save my son. I want my son. Please save him. They hadn't been getting a pulse at that time, so all of a sudden I heard them saying, we got a pulse. We got a pulse. His heart restarted. The doctor overseeing his case said, it's a bona fide miracle. Now, no doubt some of y'all in this room are reacting like I did. Immediately, you're thinking, I wonder if he really died. You, you want a natural explanation, right? You've been discipled by the culture. that supernatural doesn't exist. Your science teacher, just like mine, carries more weight than the word of God. But friend, here's the only explanation we need. We have a supernatural God who sometimes works in supernatural ways. And when he does, it's a gift. And and y'all, when I read this story, immediately my mind goes to Jared Fogarty. Jared stood up in front of us a couple weeks ago and he talked to us and he thanked us for praying for him. Jared had fallen from three stories, essentially on his head the doctor said he should not have made it and he stood up here and he said praise God thank you for praying for me. God still gives the gifts of miracles and we have got to remember that when he does they're not just our own selfish gifts they're also gifts for the mission I can guarantee you that God has used what happened in St. Louis to draw people to himself and I can tell you that already in Savannah Georgia God is using what happened with Jared to draw people to himself. So their gift we want to celebrate them when they come But even better than the gift is the one who gives them. Okay, so Paul raises Eutychus, and they return on their way back to Jerusalem. Verses 13 through 16 give their route. So they're up here, and basically now they're just going to sail down the west coast of Turkey. And, you know, interestingly enough, they purposefully skip Ephesus. Paul knew that if they stopped in Ephesus, it would take too long. They'd be endangered. But he comes down here to Miletus, and he still wanted to talk to the Ephesian elders. It was going to be the last time he saw him, so he says, you guys come down to me. So that's what we see starting in verse 17, or verse 18 we'll pick up. He says, you yourselves know, this is addressed to them, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's got one last shot to encourage these elders in Ephesus. And the first thing he goes to is, remember the way that I lived. And it's interesting that he doesn't just start his address to them this way. He also finishes it. Look at verses 33 through 35. He says, I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So what Paul's doing is he's highlighting the way that he lived life. He's telling these elders, remember the way that I lived my life. And look at the things that he cites. The first thing that he says is, I served the Lord with humility, even when it was tough. I served him humbly, even when it was hard. I did everything I could to build you guys up. Publicly, privately, I talked over and over and over again of the grace of God. I kept steering you guys back to the gospel. And then we see him saying, I worked hard. I wasn't greedy. I cared for the needy. And here's what Paul's doing. He's telling these guys, see my example. Imitate me. Remember what I did. Now you guys go and do likewise. And this is a gift from God, you guys, because here's what God knows about us. We're not the sharpest tools in the shed. And if you just tell us to do something, we don't always get it right. But if we can see it, that's an extraordinary gift. And so the the next gift that God gives us for the mission is the gift of examples. Examples. All right. My wife didn't want me to say this, but I'm going to get vulnerable with you guys. Sometimes, when I'm in the car by myself, I pick my nose. (laughs) I do. I know, some of y'all are embarrassed for me right now. It's true. Um, I need to bring it into the light so there can be healing. Um, And Victoria's been telling me, William, you're gross. You have to stop. Guys, I think I finally turned the corner. The other night, on my way home... I saw this guy in the car next to me with his finger way up his nose. And I thought, dude, do I look like that? If I look like that, I cannot do this anymore. Okay, Victoria just telling me wasn't enough. I had to see it with my own eyes. I had to to see an example. And y'all, this is true everywhere. We need to see what not to do, and we need to see what to do. We need examples, and especially we need examples in the Christian life. And let me say this, God loves to give us examples in the Christian life. And y'all, I was thinking about where where I would go with the application here. And I just started thinking about different people in our church and the examples that y'all set. Um, So I just want to call people out. I hope you know these people. These are people who have been extraordinary examples to me. Um... I hope they can be extraordinary examples to you, too. I love the way Big John loves people. I love the way Kim and Virgil King are so joyful in Christ. John Chittister, I love how saturated you are in Scripture. It's such an encouragement to me. Bill Bowers, the way you encourage young men um, makes me want to be better. I love the way Greg McGinney teaches me about parenting I love the way that Terry Wheeler prays Mark Pickering I love the way that you serve man it's such an encouragement to me Um, I love the way that Mallory, Mallory Moran prioritizes community and gives her life for it where's Gracie Jones I love the way that you care about unreached people groups and people who have no access to Christ it makes me I want that Grant Harwell same for you if you're here Um, there's a lady named Tracy Collins. She's so encouraging. Carol Boykin, Lois Pfeiffer, the way that they care about my kids and so many of our kids. It's just unbelievable. Robbie, the way that you live your life on mission. Tom and Phyllis, the way that you guys share the gospel every week with people you don't know. That is such an example to me. Y'all, this church is full of godly examples. There are so many godly men in this church who are so generous, and you would not want me to say your name because you don't want the left hand to know what the right hand is doing. This church is full of godly examples, you guys, and these godly examples are a gift to us and a gift that equips us to live on mission better because I see your lives, and I I want to be better for Christ. I want to bear witness to him, and so we enjoy these examples as a gift. We look up to them. But we remember that even better than the gift is the one who gives them. Okay, three gifts down, three to go. Picking back up in the middle of uh, Paul's talk, verse 22. Here's what we see. Paul tells these guys, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So here's what Paul tells these guys. He says, I am constrained by the Spirit. Literally, I am held captive by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I can't not go. But the Spirit is also telling me it's not going to be good when I get there. He is telling me that afflictions await me. He is telling me that imprisonment awaits me. But I'm going because I'm constrained by the Spirit of God. Now, you're probably thinking, Cain, how is that a gift? Imprisonment, affliction, how are you going to turn that into a gift? And, it, y'all, we have the glorious benefit of being able to zoom out on history and see what happened because the Spirit constrained Paul to go to Jerusalem. And here's what happened. When Paul went to Jerusalem led by the Spirit, he preached the gospel to thousands of people. When Paul went to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, he was put in prison. And while he was in prison, he, he wrote close to half of what he wrote that we have. God used this spirit-led captivity to advance the gospel in extraordinary ways. And it's here that we come to the best gift that we will talk about today, the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Y'all, every once in a while, as a Christian, we've got to stop and we've got to think about what the Bible is actually saying, okay? You've got to let it rock you. This is, we cannot come here and be bored by this. If that's you, friend, you don't have the spirit of God yet. And I want you to know him, okay? Because here's what the Bible's telling us. The Bible is telling us that when we stop trusting in ourselves and when we started trusting in Christ, when we put all of our hope in him, almighty God gave us his own spirit to come and live in us. the Spirit of God to dwell in you, in you, in me. Guys, do you, you don't know how sinful I am. I don't even know how sinful I am. I am a wretch. I'm begging God as I come to preach a sermon, make my heart warm. Make my heart feel these things, because I don't naturally feel these things. I naturally sin. I'm naturally selfish. I naturally don't want to serve my wife and kids. I naturally want to serve myself. But God would give me his own spirit. that God would give you his holy spirit and friend it's the only explanation for some of our lives is it not we were headed full speed in one direction and when trust in Christ came and the spirit came and dwelt our lives we were made new Our desires change. How do you change desires? You're God. That's how. We started loving God. We started loving His Word. We started loving people. Our lives were rerouted in the most glorious way, and it's because God gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you know Him? Does the Spirit of God testify with your spirit that you're a child of God? Does he assure you that one day you will be with him and you'll be like him? You'll see him as he is? What a gift. And not just a gift for our selfish benefit, a gift for the mission. The Spirit is the Spirit. Of mission, He is the one who leads us. He is the one who guides us. He is the one who directs us. He is the one who helps us pray when we don't know what to pray. He helps us speak when we don't know what we should say. And when we do step out there and bear witness to our king, the spirit of God draws people to himself. What a gift. And let me remind you guys, and I remind myself, the more we embrace God's mission, the more we will experience of his spirit. And I hope, I know that all of us, we drift into living for things other than God and other than the purposes of God. But friend, if that's you today, if you're living for your job or even for a great gift like your family, you're settling for a lesser pleasure. You're missing out on the Spirit of God and how you might know God more. So we remember that the Spirit is a gift um, He's a gift even when he leads us to do hard things like he did to Paul. All right, picking back up in verse 24, um, Paul's in the middle of a thought. He says, I'm constrained to go to Jerusalem, but I don't account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you that this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul's headed for Jerusalem. He's headed for Jerusalem no matter what. And the reason why he's headed for Jerusalem is because he is gripped by this task that God has given him. God has given him this task that we see in verse 24, verse 25, and verse 27. He has been commissioned to testify to the grace of God. Right? In verse 25, he is to declare or to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then in verse 27, to declare the whole counsel of God. This was Paul's task. He was going throughout the known world, and he was telling of the good grace of God that has come to sinful humanity. Now, we've got to remember that when this was written, um, or or this was written, these events, I should say, um, happened late 50s AD, so probably 57 AD. In 57 AD, there was no collected New Testament. We had a few letters floating around, but the, the Bible was not bound, and it was not available. So what Paul did was he went place to place telling people of the grace of God, telling the whole counsel of God, teaching people the truth that God speaks. But all the while, my friend, God was preparing a gift for all those who would come after Paul. You see while he was talking about it, he was also writing about it. And through guys like Luke and Paul and John and James and John Mark that we've read about in this book, God gives us another gift for the mission. He gives us The Bible. The Bible. There are a lot of misconceptions about this book. A lot of people think it's irrelevant, a lot of people think it's just outdated guidelines. Some people think that this book is just sort of a collection of stories. some are true, some are not. Good moral lessons. It's not what sits in your lap. The Bible has some guidelines. The Bible has some cool stories. That's not what it is. Friend, the book in your lap is the real revelation of the one True God, and what He has done and will do in human history to bring a race of rebellious creatures back to Himself for the praise of His own glory. It is the true story of the whole world, it is the real account of the real God's real grace to real sinners. When was the last time you thanked God for the book in your lap? When was the last time you considered its value? Friend, if it wasn't for this book, we would still probably be under the judgment of God. If it wasn't for this book, our lives would be unraveling because of the sin that is destroying us without us even knowing it. If it wasn't for this book, all of our questions about meaning and purpose and eternity would go completely unanswered. If it wasn't for this book, we would be lost in God's world without him. But because of this book, this is so good. Because of this book, you can know your Creator. Because of this book, you can come back to Him on His terms. Because of this book, you can have wisdom for your life to flourish under his care and his rule so that you might find satisfaction that you can't find anywhere else. Because of this book, you can join him on his mission and find purpose for your life. Because of this book, you can be equipped to carry out that mission. What a gift! I hope you know the gift of this book. I hope you wake up every day and you hear God speak to you through this book. I hope you love hearing his voice through this book. I hope it's better to you than Facebook or ESPN or Boys or Array's. This is a gift. It is a gift. Praise God. Let's bear it well. But let's remember that even better than the gift is the one who gives it. Okay, one more gift left to mention. Verse 28, Paul finally starts giving these Ephesian elders instructions about what they're to do. So he's been talking all about what God's done through him. Now he gives them instructions about their task. And here's what he says. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul challenges these elders in Ephesus with a couple of tasks. And the first thing he says to them is, guys, you got to pay careful attention to yourselves. You got to keep a close watch on your own soul. You got to guard your own heart. You have to pay attention to yourself. Essentially, it's the same thing that the airplane lady tells us. Put your own oxygen mask on before you put the kids on. Right? You, you can't lead people where you hadn't been. can't give people what you don't have. And so Paul tells these guys, take care of your own soul. But then next he says, you guys are to care for the flock in Ephesus. Care for them. And, and, and he tells them to do this two ways, both by feeding them, feeding them the Word of God, giving them the truth of the Word of God, and then protecting them. Protecting them from twisted teaching from twisted teachers. What God was doing and what he does in each local church, or at least scripture commands, is that he puts people in leadership who are charged to care for the souls of the people under them so that they might thrive, so that they might flourish. Um, And so here's our last gift today that I want to highlight is the gift of caretakers. Caretakers. Both in the church and in the home, God gives us the gift of caretakers. And I've, I've specifically said caretakers here instead of elders because... There are so many caretakers in this room uh, that care for people, and I, I want you to see the responsibility that you have. Um, but we'll start in the church. In the church, just like in Ephesus, God gives elders. And the job of the elder is to care for the church that God has bought with his own blood. And here are the primary ways that we do that. We do that through counseling and through caring and through teaching and through preaching and through equipping from Scripture we don't want there to be any other authority than that scripture is the basis with which we were just aimed to feed our church um and then second major way is through prayer and you all our group of elders in no means perfect in many ways flawed um but we're a group of men who want to pray for you guys i mean we want to pray for you and so if you're sick call us we want to pray for you if you have a need Write something down and drop it in the box. Email us. We want to regularly pray for our church. Um, But God doesn't just give elders to take care of the church. I also want to point out to you guys, um, this is a little bit lame because I'm part of the staff, but take me out of it. Um, There's a staff at this church that is so awesome, and they want to serve our church. They are hungry to serve our church, and they do a great job. Um, really, they're a gift. And not on staff, there are community group leaders all over this town who clean their house and they clean up after you leave, and they care about you. They're a gift. There are Sunday school teachers who every week they teach our kids and they care for their souls. Um, that's a gift. That God gives his church. But caretakers aren't just in the church. They're in the home. And so if you're here and you're a parent. When's the last time. You thought about how awesome it is. That God has given you the responsibility to steward an eternal soul. You get to be the primary one to teach your children about Christ. You get to be the one who invests in them and who cares for them and who they come to and who they lean on. That's a gift. That's a gift. And and let me speak to you. If you're here this morning and you feel like, man, I've not done well there, we have a God who loves to give grace. He loves it. He loves to give grace to sinners. And so if you have not done well in stewarding this gift, start today receive his strength to do better and kids let me speak to y'all real quick pick up your head from coloring if you're coloring i don't care how old you are I i want to talk to you real quick okay um did you know that your mom and dad are gifts to you god has given your mom and dad to you as gifts have you thanked them Have you told them how much it means to you that they're interested in you, that they love you? Here's a challenge. Next time your parents tell you no, you can't do something that you want to do, tell them thanks, <laughs> because they're protecting you. Right? And if you're a parent who just likes to say no, quit being a parent who likes to say no. You should love to say yes to your kids. Um, But kids, your mom and dad are a gift to you. They're a gift. So God gives caretakers in the church and in the home. uh, And when caretakers do their job well, we're better witnesses. But even better than the gift is the one who gives them. So here's what we've seen today. We've seen family, miracles, examples, the Spirit, the Bible, and caretakers. These are gifts from God for our enjoyment. They're gifts for the mission. We need to bear them well. But as we close, what I want to do is this. I want us to look past the gifts to the one who gives them. These gifts that we've talked about today, you guys, they only come to those of us who know God as Father. They only come to us who've been forgiven of our sins. They've only come to us who've been brought into the family of God. And friend, these gifts are free to us. So, gifts are, right? Gifts are free. But have you ever considered how much these gifts cost our Lord? When's the last time you considered what it cost Him to bring you into His own family? Because when we read the scripture and when we're honest with our own hearts, we see that we're rebels. We have not loved God who made us, puts breath in our lungs, causes our heart to beat. God should judge. That's what justice says. But friend, while we were rebelling, God looked on us in love. Not because of who we are, because of who he is. He's the one you are created for. All good is in him. And he looked on us in love, and so the Father sent the Son into human history. Jesus Christ loved God perfectly. Loved people perfectly. But he came to bear our judgment. That's why he came. He came to die. So on a Roman cross... 33 AD, Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, was forsaken by his Father so we might be accepted. He was cast out so that we might be brought in. He endured the full, furious wrath of God so that we might only ever experience his love, his gifts. He was exiled so that we might be welcomed home, back into the family, back to the father who made us, back to the one who everything we've ever enjoyed, it was his idea. We were made for him. He's the one who gives all these gifts, and they came at great cost to him. So way more valuable than any of them, the one who gives them. Let me close with this quote from Jonathan Edwards, and then we'll stand and worship him. Edwards said this about gifts. God's gifts are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. You are worthy of all worship and not obligated worship. You are worthy of celebration. You're worthy of our joy. You're worthy of our excitement. God, we do love you. We thank you that every good gift we have, it comes down from you. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us to the death. We thank you that you have brought us into family, into life with meaning and purpose. We're joyful. Lord, more than any of these gifts, I pray that we would see you as the all-satisfying giver. I pray that you'd help us to worship you now. In Christ's name, amen.